Listen up, it's the Speakeasy with Annie Madden and Carla Trelaw. Conversations in the margins. A comfortable space for uncomfortable topics. We're Annie. World AIDS Day. Here we are. Extravaganza. Yeah, I know, can you believe it? It's like December already. I'm on my head spinning, you know. Yeah. But here we are, World AIDS Day, 1 December every year. And we're going to... We're going to make it a big spotlight, one. Spotlight, spotlight, World AIDS Day on Speakeasy. So, and we've got a great range of guests mm-hmm. uh, coming in to speak with us. Lots mm-hmm. of interesting research to talk about. So, yep. we're going to kick it off yep. with the lovelies. <laughs> Plural. Here, you can hear them already. <laughs> Christy Newman and Asha Person, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting to have our own little introduction to the speakeasy world. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, all glamour, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I can <laughs> say. So, for people who don't know you, we should. Well, Matt, perhaps do you want to introduce yourselves in terms of your roles and titles and what you do here at the centre? Yeah, I think we should. I think we should also talk a bit about how we have worked together. So, yeah, yeah, so so Asher and I um, kind of first began engaged with uh, the Centre for Social Research and Health, which was then called the National Centre in HIV Social Research. Um, myself, I was uh, started as a PhD student in the year 2000, so that's some time ago. I and feel Asha... your pain. <laughs> 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 haven't been doing that's it ever since. <laughs> it's not about me, but... Geez, you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> and, I met, and I met to Asha soon after, so mm-hmm. do you want to... Um, yes. What was your role then? Uh, well, I started in 2001, yeah. and my area is, well, then it was called Living with HIV, yeah. so that was my focus, doing qualitative research um, on issues related to that. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. And I started doing bits and pieces of research assistant work with Asha back then, and... Um, She's we're been trying to repay me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Start, um, and I'm very grateful for that. But also, I'm very grateful that uh, we kind of found in each other a really rich and sustaining collaboration um, around um, the really diverse and endlessly important and interesting Mm. issues Mm. facing people living with HIV Mm. in Australia. Because I was thinking Um, it would have over that course of time the mm. issues changed so like, dramatically yes, yes. yeah so my focus in those early days was yeah. kind of to identify and uh, carve out you know new kind of research around yeah. populations within the epidemic that hadn't uh, mm. received any attention okay. and the funding model I suppose in those days was such that we could mm. uh, you know more flexible around uh, more marginal populations not just focus on key populations yeah so and I think it's extraordinary because you know you don't always find people that you want to keep working with yeah uh, and particularly Mm. over that period of time absolutely yeah absolutely I think that um you know when talking about coming today I said to Asha you know the conversations we have together are conversations that you know I think open up to all kinds of people mm, and mm. Uh, you know we, the, it's been an ongoing conversation really, yeah, right. as we've watched the context yeah. change mm. um, but both of us I think have been really fueled by um, you know just a real interest in hearing the stories of people mm. who are living with um, what continues to be one of the most stigmatised infections yeah. um, in our community and yeah. thinking about how that's lived differently depending yeah. on your gender, your context, your mm-hmm. culture, a whole range of, of issues. But it's been interesting for us to see, and particularly I think for Asha, who has worked with populations that 
were really framed as over to the side yeah. from the main kind of strategy and policy yeah. focus. Um, really, in the last few years in particular, they have become more and more the focus yeah, and right. trying to understand, mm-hmm. you know, what it's different about these in, these groups, how, yeah. you know, what, how do we need to think differently? And I keep on sending people Ash's articles, yeah. some <laughs> of which yeah, are 10 or 15 years yeah. old, yeah. Um, but yeah. really have explored some of the issues yeah. which continue to be the same yeah. challenges yeah. in engaging um, people who are... Um, living their lives in ways that are a little bit different mm. from the kind of the, the more easily mm. um, reached population. And why in do you think? Um, do you have any reflections on why that shift? Uh, you know, over time from populations or groups mm. um, who perhaps were off to the side, as you say, mm. and have become over time more sort of mm. sort of central um, to to what's going on. Do you have yeah. ideas on why oh. that shift may have? Yeah, I, mean, okay. I think you know we have a long history now mm. of of the sector um, responding to um, the needs of gay communities. Mm. Uh, so the prevention strategies there are really well developed sure. and solid, and mm. you know, especially yeah. urban, mm-hmm. inner city gay communities um, yeah. are quite switched on in terms of. Um, absorbing that information yeah. and making it work for themselves. Anglo-Australian-born, English-speaking, particularly. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think it, you know the epidemic among that those communities are quite um, well managed mm. now, relatively speaking. Mm, sure. Um, so I think that has enabled the attention to sort of broaden out to other yeah. communities that you know are not doing yeah. as well or so are not being engaged and reached or and as we've to. seen in the last few years with um, incredible new developments mm. in the field of HIV prevention yeah. with treatment as prevention first mm. and then um, prep more recently mm. yeah. those communities were able to be mobilised in the most yeah. extraordinarily yeah. rapid yeah. way right. um, but what it also revealed was the mechanism by which they are reached and engaged yeah. relies upon a whole range of characteristics yeah. that just don't apply to everybody. Yeah. Um, and so and so I guess that's what's now happening yeah. is recognition yeah. that there are um, other ways that people live that need to be recognised, valued and and therefore systems need to be thought about yeah. differently. Yeah. So so today we we you said, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. And, and you said that the shorthand name for this uh, project and piece of work is short, it's short MSM. No, it's <laughs> straight MSM. The shorthand title is straight MSM. Short so do you want to tell us a bit about this project? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we were just having a think about where it began. Yeah. Um, but I should say one of the areas that really ASHA is globally recognised oh. for uh, oh, she is uh-huh. ever the humble one. You brought one. your fan club with you today, <laughs> Always ready, cheerleader. Is the work around heterosexuality and HIV. Right. But I should also say heterosexuality, comma, masculinity and HIV, uh, okay. um, which is a, a combination of... Um, of characteristics or you know um, issues which in Australia has had a very particular and kind of bounded um, meaning Mm -hmm. um, and uh, internationally has had all kinds of different sorts of meanings and Mm -hmm. and resonance Mm -hmm. so you know in in Australia one of the things that's been complicated about that field is questions that people ask about whether um, HIV risk in heterosexual men has also been about men having sex with other men but that not 
kind of being able to be talked about, spoken about in the heterosexual communities in which they live. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's part of the background to why um, Asha and I were both interested in looking at some emerging issues around men who have sex with men who are not gay identified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, do you want to make what, yeah, what but drew but your we, interest? You know, they, they kind of, I guess, fall through the cracks yeah. because they don't fit into those established sexual identity categories mm -hmm. that uh, the sector to some extent mm -hmm. rely mm -hmm. on in mm -hmm. able to assess mm -hmm. potential risk mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. how to allocate mm -hmm. resources. Mm -hmm. Exactly, all the, you know, the prevention programs, the services, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. so from notification, HIV notifications forms yeah. through mm -hmm. surveillance, yeah. you know, yeah. survey-based surveillance through yeah. all kinds of processes that yes. that need to you know as you say kind of both recognize track yeah. and reach yeah. um, yes. people yeah. they, they mostly have practice yeah. kind yeah. of described in one way identity yeah. sometimes described or over yeah. here but not great connections yeah, right. in yeah. recognizing that the links between them are not always mm. automatic the identity mm. and the behavior. What, yeah. what happened in this project what did you do <laughs> We should say that it was funded by New yeah. South Wales Health, New South Wales Ministry of Health, the Breeze yeah. Program, which is right. a collaboration between the Kirby and the Centre for Social Research and Health. Mm -hmm. They were really interested in yeah. doing some research on this. Yeah. And their particular interest was actually in reaching men themselves mm -hmm. who are non-gay identified, but particularly heterosexually identified. Mm. So not necessarily the other groups that fit within non-gay, which gotcha. is bisexually yeah. identified yeah. or other yeah. forms, um, but really the men who, who, who very strongly identify as mm. straight, mm. but may also sometimes have sex mm. with men. Mm. So the ministry was very aware that they didn't know where these men were, whether they fit into the notifications data, um, and how to therefore kind of plan health promotion mm. campaigns and so on. Um, so they, 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 as part of a, a series of conversations, um, including with um, POSHET, which is the Heterosexual HIV Service of New South Wales, who are also very interested in um, the, the complex issues that relate to some members of their, organ, um, their, their membership who do have a history of having sex with men, but again are a little harder to engage in conversation around that. Do you want to say anything about what happened sort of from those early conversations? Okay, I can talk. <laughs> I can keep talking. <laughs> you can come in when we start doing the day. Give me a bit longer. You could have. I'm going to. Yeah. Um, so, so what you happened? Work so, well together, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so what happened was um, we then started these conversations, and and really um, the ministry recognised in talking to us that launching straight out to try and reach men yeah. was just too yeah. ambitious yes. and particularly with the amount of funding that was available which was relatively mm -hmm. limited um, although we're very grateful for it mm -hmm. um, you know we, we we pitched that we needed to st to start earlier than that yeah. Yeah. and to talk to the experts that they had working in their system and outside, but within New South Wales, who work with men like this every day. And who would they, those people be, just out of interest? Yeah, yeah. And also they work, they work with that kind of disconnect between the sexual, the, you know, the stable sexual identity categories yeah. and the complexities that they actually yeah. see in their clinics. So uh, we interviewed 30 key informants, as we called them, and they spanned a whole range of uh, professions related to the sexual health field. Mm. So, 
We called so it like the sort of sexual, we called it the sexual health sector yeah. Yeah. for an umbrella term. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, social workers, counsellors, but there yeah. were also health promotion yeah. workers, yeah. Uh, people working at advocacy and peer support. Mm. Um, some researchers as well some in the fields of sexuality and sexual yeah. health. Okay. Um, yeah, and sure. and people who worked in both non-government as yeah. well as government and yeah other other uh, kind yeah. of community-based organisations. Okay. And, yeah. and key findings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you know they they what one of the themes that really stood out was that the these key informants really recognise the complexity of human sexuality right. uh, and that, uh, you know, and the like need sexual for greater understanding yeah, of these sexual issues. Identity yeah. and sexual behaviour doesn't necessarily neatly yeah. overlap. They um, see men all the time for whom they, they, you can't make an assumption yeah. that how they present yes. in terms of their identity yeah. is maps onto Very what they do diverse. in practice. Yeah. That's completely unsurprising to these people. Yeah. But yeah. also, they don't see these men as... Um, one group nearly gay or, oh, yeah. or pretending yes. not to be gay ah, and right. I think that's yeah, really that's key important, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean they were very against that notion yeah. that these these men are really gay and they're yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. and they still see them as being in, in the closet of sorts but mm. that's because of the inability of mainstream society or popular culture mm. to accept, accept or recognise that, yeah. that complexity and that you know, lack of alignment between identity and behaviour. Mm. So they sort of, you know, locked in some kind of closet because mm. of that, the, the dominance of the that sexual mm. binary. Mm. Mm. Right. Mm. So, but not the traditional closet yeah. in the sense that they're hiding a true yeah. sexual yeah. identity. Yes. They yeah. didn't yeah. believe yeah. at all. And they saw these men as incredibly diverse. They were very much against calling them a population or a group. Yeah. <laughs> Or a collection of individuals. With yeah, their own they're talking about yeah. scenarios and uh, things, yeah. and nice. but but sort of very loosely, loosely defined scenarios. But they were able to identify uh, different kinds of uh, men. Right, and yeah. so that was sort of the first stage yeah. of the research. Has it gone on? Yeah. If we can find some funding, then, yeah. then okay. you know that. And, <laughs> and I really didn't. That wasn't a <laughs> question. I actually didn't know that. So here's um, the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, so I guess one of the things that this does is show us that, and we haven't kind of talked about this. There's, there's long papers that people can go to to sure, read lot, all of the findings. So we'll we've attach got, some. We'll link them on. Yes. Yeah, and we've got a short report yeah. as well as some peer-reviewed publications. Excellent. But you know, one of the things I think it shows is let's not overlook what the people who work in the sector can tell us mm. about. Um, populations that mm. are really reluctant to take part in research. Yeah. Yeah. They're reluctant enough to talk to a clinician. Mm. Sometimes yes. it takes months of building trust yeah. for somebody to be able to go, oh, by the way, you have done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why would they put their just hand that. up to mm. come to a focus group? Yeah, you know, like right. That's just not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, so, so let's, you know, let's capture this information. Yes, yeah. it's secondhand, but it's, it's so consistent. Rich, and yeah. it's so yeah. consistent right yeah. across all this diversity yeah. of places. And yeah. really, we talk to people right across the state. Yeah. So with regional areas is yeah. really important as well yeah, to capture and research mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but but we're talking suburban um, Sydney also and mm -hmm. even in a, in a city. Um, so it would be wonderful to be able to hear more from men themselves mm -hmm. about um, 
particularly things like what what resonates for them mm. when they're looking at health promotion mm. materials mm. as something that would be relevant for them. Yes. Mm. Because we, we debate about this a lot in the sexual health center, uh, sector. You yeah. know, like, do you... There's been a reliance on using what we could consider to be kind of visibly gay um, mm. representations mm. to highlight that things are targeting gay men. That won't work for mm. men who are straight mm. identified, mm. even though the content area mm. around yeah. um, sexual yeah. health risk yeah. is really important for mm. them to access. Mm. Um, so mm. New South Wales Health is doing some really interesting work around that at the moment, around HIV testing, mm. awareness campaigns, mm. trying to think differently um, about... As a result of this work? We like, well, project. that we've been told yes, that it's been very influential. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. We, went, we went to a focus group where <clears throat> our research was discussed as one of the only things that's happened yes. in this area yeah. so we're really pleased around the timing of that yeah. there is a long history of research of course around particularly um say uh, 20 years ago mm. a lot of the research even with kind of gay men in general had to recognize that many of those men were not out so they yeah. were married you know but th yes. that time has changed yeah. in most areas mm. in many areas but not all mm -hmm. but you know the the I think it's actually harder for sometimes for people who are around a lot of gay community um, culture to recognise that it continues to be um, a very constrained environment for many people around the country around feeling like they can be open about their sexual mm -hmm. lives um, uh, if they don't want to kind of um, be... If, they, if, if, if for a number of reasons they feel that they, mm. that, 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 that is impossible for yeah, them. Sure. And, in, in, you know, unfortunately, heterosexual masculinity in Australia continues to be a, a, a very kind of constraining position mm -hmm. around the roles that you occupy mm -hmm. often as father, mm -hmm. as worker, as mate, mm -hmm. as community member, as, mm -hmm. as leader and mm -hmm. so on. Um, and recognising that um, uh, as not... Uh, uh, not the not different, not another choice to mm. kind of gay identity, but mm. as intersecting in yeah. all kinds of important ways. Yeah. Um, we're really pleased to see the government recognising mm. that as important to take into That's account great. with um, health promotion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're really glad to have had mm. you in the speakeasy, glorious studio, <laughs> thumper crop of um, World AIDS Day. So we're, we, I'm not sure we asked you this, but we're going to throw it to you anyway. It's World AIDS Day. What's your message for the world? Yeah. So I'm thinking 2018. Yeah, maybe we should have prepared this one earlier. <laughs> well, we did talk about that. We did. But we didn't really come to. I mean, I think one of the things that resonates yeah. from, from your work is, you know, to, to keep your eye. On these areas, people, settings, workforces that don't get the most attention, mm. you know, because mm. if we really are ambitious in what we're doing, mm. it, it takes that village of yeah. fullness, yeah. <laughs> not making any sense. But, you know, it, it, yeah. the mainstream has this energy and momentum and history yeah. that will get itself sorted, but it's mm. around the edges of that, that yeah. attention needs. I would also had. say that the people who did the best work around marginalised, more hidden population mm. was always the social researchers. Ah, mm. yay. And I 
I feel like mm -hmm. our time has come I would agree in, in terms of that being recognised yeah. as no longer being to the side yeah. and yeah. interesting yeah. for yeah. kind of sociological yeah. reasons. It's right. It's in, right yeah. in the yeah. heart yeah. and centre yeah. of what yeah. matters for strategy, for and good it helps strategy. Other and things make sense too, yeah. doesn't it? It's Absolutely. not sort of have one or have the other or have clinical research or, you yeah. know, it's not a choice like that. It sort of presents Absolutely. this whole picture, doesn't yeah. it? Yes. The complexity of human. Yeah. Absolutely, and I hear, I hear epidemiologists <laughs> epidemiologist saying mm. that, I hear people in, in policy yes. people saying that, and so that's very gratifying to see mm. yeah. um, and, re and to recognise that that is kind of, yeah, it's, it's much more the, the centre mm. now. Yeah. Well, thanks so well, much for nice spending some stop. time with mm. us. Lovely. And, um, you know, happy World AIDS Day. Happy World AIDS Day. <laughs> <laughs> and good luck with the rest of your work, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We're back. We're back again. World AIDS Day special bumper episode. And, and with the lovely Professor Martin Holt. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, nice well, in these uh, luxurious surrounds, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Everyone giggles when we say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, luxurious surrounds. We go to all this trouble I to thrive. provide this amazing, relaxing environment. <laughs> in Carla's office. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin the magic. Oh Don't ruin the God. magic. It's all just burst now. So, Martin, we've asked you here... Um, for a number of different reasons, to enjoy some lovely time in your company, but also to, to help us uh, talk about the kind of range of issues that might be important for this World AIDS Day, but your long association with the Gay Community Periodic Surveys is where we thought we might start. Do you want to explain what this machine is? Yeah. That's yeah. right, yes. Well, 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 it's an enormous well, well. lumbering machine that I have custodianship of. Yeah, so the Periodic Survey has been running since 1996, they're community-based surveys of gay and bisexual men. They're quite gay-focused, so they kind of started, um, were set up by other people to, um, some of my esteemed colleagues, <laughs> to try and um, monitor behaviour among the primary HIV-affected population at the time, at the beginning of the epidemic in Australia. And, you know, gay men remain still just about the, <laughs> the primary affected group. So they've been incredibly useful and they started in the big cities like Sydney and Melbourne. They yeah. of, we've spread them out a bit uh, across the other states and territories over time. So it's every state and territory now? Or? Everyone by Northern Territory. Right. Just can't okay. quite get in the get Northern Territory. Get that in the yeah. Northern Territory. And this, this is the, the state health jurisdiction, state health government, state health departments, I'll get there in eventually, yeah. saying we need this data to help us mm. understand our, what we should be doing. Is that yeah, right? Inform our strategies, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, so they basically were set up to go, we want to understand what gay men, primarily at the beginning, were doing with each other in order to stay safe, so yeah. kind of condom use and um, what they were doing with their within their relationships, also whether they went for HIV testing if they knew their status. Mm. Yeah. Um, then as the cohort of positive men grew, like uh, treatment uptake and whether people were engaged in care, and more recently we've looked at the rise of PrEP, so pre-exposure, prophylaxis, uptake, and we've kind of tweaked the surveys to uh, adjust to this new sort of prevention environment that there's more than one strategy that people can use. So they've been incredibly useful to see that change yeah. in some jurisdictions, but not, yeah. other, not others. That's a really mm. interesting point, though. You know, as someone who's relatively new to the research world, just thinking about periodic surveys and how you have to constantly be tweaking them in something like an HIV epidemic that yeah. is constantly evolving and changing, 
you yeah I mean I've, I know that's quite basic probably to you and every day but it's something I haven't really thought about before yeah yeah and there's a, and there's really interesting tension well interesting if you do behavioral science <laughs> it might not be so interesting to everybody else but there's a tension between that their enormous value now is that we've kept them going mm. and we've kept some of the core indicators, so things like condom use or whether people are in relationships or whether they've been tested. We've kept them the same over 20 years, so that's extraordinarily powerful to be able to look back. So that's the balance, huh? To be shift but but also to make sure you can compare the data. But to respond to new changes, you have to introduce new questions and then you lose the... You know, Mm. you have to start from scratch so that we go every year and it gives me lots of grey hairs like where we <laughs> consult nationally yeah, on yeah. priority changes yeah. yeah right I foolishly introduced this a few years ago <laughs> decided we'd ask everyone what you they thought and everyone just gives us an enormous shopping list of yeah. things they would like and then we duke it out about yeah. but everyone's agreed that we needed to respond to PrEP and yeah. to a lesser extent treatment as prevention um, yeah. as strategies that are recognised as effective because and the, and the basic premise there for the listeners is that it's not enough just to look at condom use or not using condoms yeah. when you have strategies that are alternatives to yeah. condoms. You actually, we've actually worked really quite hard to try and capture the full range of things that guys yeah. can do to yeah. limit trans, transmission risk. Mm. It just makes the analyses all that a little more bit more complicated. Yeah. And, all, and of course the guys, like we get seven to 8,000 men who yeah. fill this in Every wow. year across the country, it's they're enormous, not, isn't it? Yeah, they're not backward in telling yeah. us, giving us feedback. So we rely on this. Uh, this rely... question sucks. Yeah, yeah. they go. This is why is this so bloody long? Like... I was actually just about to ask you that because then that's presumably the other thing that needs yeah. to be balanced is if you're adding in new questions yeah. or whatever, what goes or what stays. I mean, because you can't just keep making it endlessly. No. Well, we we basically you? fit. We use we call it the real estate of the survey. The survey's in the because we do field-based recruitment we go to gay community events like Mardi Gras or Midsummer right. or Brisbane Pride or whatever yeah. and in the smaller states and territories you know we go out with pe- peer recruiters we totally rely on our community yeah. organisation partners we go out with trained teams of peer recruiters with clipboards while people are having fun while people are having fun <laughs> trying we, to have fun <laughs> and we persuade them to sorry we ask them without coercing them no to, none of that to do the survey and actually yeah. there are enormous numbers of gay men particularly in the inner city areas who know that yeah. they're going to get asked yeah. um, about the they're going to get asked about the survey and asked to fill it in yeah. so there's enormous goodwill yeah. But they're also the guys that are most willing to say, um, mm. you know, mm. why is this so long? Yeah. But it goes to this investment issue yeah. too, doesn't it? Their people are invested in their communities mm. and, you know, yeah. whatever their community be, every, people are invested in their communities and the health of their communities and each other and their friends yeah. and family and that and shows I, that. Hey? Yeah, and mm. I, I think another investment, just back to the national coordination issue, besides the, the headaches and grey hairs it may produce, is, <laughs> again, the Commonwealth Government saying this is something that we need to keep an eye on yeah. nationally so that we can report back to our, our own progress on the national strategies mm. as well as providing the balance of what is it that the jurisdictions need to mm. inform their programming and investments yeah. locally. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the um, most interesting things is in... Um, they used to... It wasn't a free-for-all, but there used to be a bit of variation between the states and territories because we had state-based funding. Mm. State-based funders are very keen often to say, we want you to look at 
this, this and this. Yes. These are our priorities and we don't care what the other states are doing. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of persuaded them over time of the value to use a common set yeah. of measures. Mm-hmm. And then to demonstrate why that's valuable is we can say, well, this is how your uh, state compares to the other. People like that. a bit of competition. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's particularly in some of the states Not and territories. Not the states and territories in Australia. <laughs> I can't imagine that they would. <laughs> so in some of the less populous jurisdictions where, you know, they have fewer resources, they're often really interested mm, to see right. how well they're doing with a much less well-funded yeah. Yeah. response in comparison to the eastern states in mm. particular mm. because they can use that sort of as a lobbying tool basically mm. to say... You know, we're not doing as well at getting mm-hmm. people to go for testing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we have some issues with whatever, you know, risk taking that yeah. we need to do some programming around. And that's been a bit dicey mm-hmm. in some of the states and territories, you know, n- not only in HIV, but in bloodborne viruses in mm-hmm. uh, general. And so this is one of those tools where you can say you mm-hmm. can't really drop the ball here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you want to achieve these great national. Uh, strategy targets in yeah. terms of reducing HIV transmission you actually sort of need to raise the floor across the board you yeah. know, people need to know their status, they need to go for testing they need to maintain their sexual health they need to know about different prevention strategies mm. it's quite hard yeah. so yeah, yeah. Um, so, and what about um, so when was the, the last the last lot of findings that have you has that been recent or yeah, yeah. like yesterday yeah <laughs> um, um, am I it's... allowed to ask what um, well yes yeah, so hot the off most, the press what the might the, be some of the no problems? I was kidding about it all <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right it feels like every day right it yeah, does yeah. yeah we're right sort of in the middle of um, so we it often feels like it doesn't really stop so the last completed round was um, well, the last completed round where we've done results was uh, Melbourne and Sydney at the beginning of the year. Right. This is a bit of a process. You know, they're quite yeah. large surveys. Both those jurisdictions have two or 3,000 participants. Yeah, right. It takes quite a while to process the data. Those results are out. The okay. main story there, because that's publicly available, is, mm-hmm. again, the ongoing engagement and uptake of PrEP mm-hmm. um, and the kind of the disruptive effect that's having on sort of sexual practices in general. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. can see this very promising engagement and uptake of PrEP but also consistent condom use by mm-hmm. in the population has sort of dropped a bit but as yeah. PrEP use has gone up you know and people and that's th- bound to happen when you yeah. introduce something new into yeah. you know a population then there's going to be adjustment time isn't there while yeah. people figure out where that fits in their life presumably absolutely or, or and yeah. I guess the thing that we're sort of interested in is at a community level what that means does everybody understand what's going on yeah you know yeah. Are they prepared? Mm. Uh, do they have literacy about this stuff? So no, important. You know, yeah. it, it's hey? it's going to take a little bit of time to settle in. But yeah. I think you know the, the EPI, the notifications in those jurisdictions suggest, on balance, it's working. Okay. Right. So there's a lot of kind of excitement about where this will end up. About drop-in notifications. Yeah. yeah, right. And New South Wales, having just come from a meeting, uh, with without publicly released results, it's kind of looking pretty good yeah, among. Right gained by sexual men, particularly those engaging with PrEP. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just worked incredibly well for the people who've taken it. So the question there is, like, can we build on that? Yeah. Now, around the rest of the country, level of PrEP uptake in the surveys is much lower because there's they haven't had big studies funded, funded by the state governments. And we're now in this period of, um, you know, any GP can prescribe PrEP now, mm-hmm. but probably not that many of them know about it. 
This is such a challenge, isn't it, with oh, any of these yeah. new initiatives yeah. that roll out that require particularly GPs and other health providers to, to be really core part of that delivery, mm. you know, getting everyone onto the same yeah. page and mm. knowing, you know, and, and there you can change the legislation, but it doesn't mean to say people... Yeah. yeah. No. So there's, I mean, there's huge amounts of activity going on in the field now about trying to, you know, skill up GPs yeah. to, um, you know, prescribe PrEP and yeah. the kind of things that are recommended... But they're, they're also, you know, it just pre- presents a much bigger barrier to someone who's in a kind of a suburban or a regional mm. area who is interested in mm. going on PrEP and yeah. you know, is concerned they might be at risk of HIV. They might actually have to educate their prescriber yeah, first about what, it, about what it is and why they want to go on it. Yeah. And that's quite a big ask. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And not something that isn't would generally be asked by a lot of the population no. to do in, yeah. in terms of you know getting access to the yeah. healthcare they need. This is a very basic question, Martin, but I'm just thinking, of course, some of our listeners are going to be very much across these issues, but I think there might be some... When you say PrEP has worked, can we go back to what is it that was is actually trying to be achieved collectively with, with the introduction mm, of PrEP? Just nice so that question. then that all kind of sure. hopefully makes, you know, underscore some of the other things you've already yeah, said. Yeah, so it, you may have already discussed what it is. So at the moment in the, the Australian model is it's taking uh, Truvada, the mm-hmm. anti, combination antiretroviral drug, taking a pill a day. Mm-hmm. In many studies internationally it's been shown to be incredibly effective at preventing HIV acquisition and basically if you take it as directed and maintained detectable drug levels it's almost 100% effective in preventing amazing isn't it it's, ext- it really it's extraordinary yeah. now there have been some studies internationally that have shown you know just how delicate that can be if you don't take it it yeah. doesn't work basically yeah. but oh. in Australia because it's been rolled out in some uh, demonstration projects Particularly, the New South Wales is the big gorilla. Like the EPIC study was, ten thousand people basically yep. came mm-hmm. forward within a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, so the demand was there, mm-hmm. and they've had a vanishingly small number of infections in that cohort, and it was usually people who had stopped taking uh, the drug. So basically, okay. people who've taken it as directed, yeah. none of them have got HIV. HIV. Mm. So it, that's kind of quite. Amazing, because exactly. often the translation from a trial to real world, mm. the efficacy, yeah. the effectiveness drops, Completely. but in this case it, it hasn't. So the aim with this, well certainly the New South Wales aim was yeah. to try and achieve saturation coverage of people at high risk of, uh, particularly going by sexual men at high yeah. risk of HIV, mm-hmm. um, as quickly as possible to kind of get a herd effect, like a, to mm-hmm. pre- just basically remove a whole swathe of people mm-hmm. at risk of HIV so they no longer were, mm-hmm. and that this would result in a rapid decline in mm. HIV notifications. So is this, would people be right in thinking this is kind of part of a one example of treatment as prevention? Would that, is, I mean, I understand that as a much bigger concept. Yeah. But would you say that, is this... People often don't refer to PrEP as treatment as prevention. I think people did in the early days when they weren't quite sure what it is. Mm. But, yeah, it's the use of antiretroviral drugs to To prevent... Prevent, yeah. uh, Infection. Get a prevention effect. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very... Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting uh, premise. And it's interesting how quickly it's been adopted in some jurisdictions and not not others. Now, the big question here about PrEP nationally Uh is while there are transmission targets to reduce HIV infections only really uh, jurisdiction by jurisdiction there are very different views so New South Wales had a very kind of 
bold set of targets around right. trying to reduce mm. sexual transmission mm-hmm. and PrEP became a very obvious thing to try yeah. on top of increased frequency of testing, of more yeah. rapid access to treatment, trying to sustain condom use and yeah. you know various other things. Mm-hmm. And it, I think the sentiment in New South Wales is PrEP has been the thing they've added that's made the difference really on top right. of those other yeah, things. Yeah, got you. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Victoria had a slightly smaller study so they the new south wales one prep study became uncapped so as long as people turned up who appeared to meet the criteria just largely you know reporting risks for hiv they could be enrolled i mean Uh the study is now wrapping up because of gp access um in victoria it was capped but they filled the study pretty quickly Uh and saw some promising declines um among gay and bisexual men in victoria the other states and territories, there were some smaller studies now which presumably are in abeyance because there's now public access. Mm. I guess the data we've collected have suggested that the levels of PrEP uptake were more modest okay. outside of New South Wales and Victoria. And therefore the question is how quickly... Mm. Uh, what level of coverage will be reached mm. and what difference will it make? Mm, yeah. When it's now kind of a bit more reliant on both consumers, patients, yeah. mm-hmm. punters, yeah. and their yeah. doctors and perhaps with local governments mm. and community organisations trying mm. to... I mean, one of the words that she uses is demand creation, which I'm not that wild mm. about, but, you know, publicising mm. the fact this strategy exists and yeah. you can get it. Yeah. And that is a less intense model. Mm-hmm. It's not providing prep for free through a big, well-orchestrated yeah. study. Yeah. It's so that was going to be one of my other yeah. questions. You say it's now publicly available. Does that mean, do people, can people, do they, you have to pay a lot to get so access it's a st- to prep for the price you have to stay on it? Yeah. yeah, so now, so there's been a lot of discussion now. So technically, in terms of sustainability, this is mm-hmm. the ideal. Like mm-hmm. it was, um, the manufacturers submitted it uh, for consideration to the Pharmaceutical Benefits Advisory Committee right. and yes. eventually it was approved. Right. Uh, to so go, it's listed so, on So scheduled the, on the PBS. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're docked, any doctor, and there's some conditions around prescribing, around the kind of mm-hmm. test, tests and so on and whether you're eligible, but basically any doctor can prescribe PrEP. Yeah. There's a recommended system, system of monitoring and so on, and then you get PrEP with a standard script. So yeah, it's right. the price so of it's a standard set 30, maximum 38 a month, $6, whatever, if you're on yeah. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, there's, say in New South Wales, there was a cohort of pr- predominantly guys who were getting PrEP for free, like 10,000 oh, of them. on the study. Uh-huh. And now they have to start to going start to see their the, the ordinary doctor oh. and start paying for the script. So still to see how that yeah. plays out. So mm. we think, actually, so of course the risk there, as within mm. any new mm, intervention at yeah. scale, is that the poorest people, yeah. the people mm-hmm. who've got the most going on socioeconomically are the ones who will start hedging Mm. around, can I afford to do this? And do I need to prioritise other things like my rent and my... Exactly. You know... Interesting. Travel, food, whatever. And then, you know, is a script a month going to be too much? So there's a bit of... So these are sorts of things that your work might... Yeah, and we've been looking at that in a range. Study might look at or something down the Yeah, line. and and other work mm. we do around mm. attitudes to prep. Like I run this mm. study called the Prepare Project, which okay. has looked at community attitudes to prep and treatments prevention for nearly the last ten years. Right. And so we'll be running that next year. And one of the folk, yeah, one of the foci <laughs> is um, to look at you know uh, barriers. To, so people who you think might benefit from prep, why they're still hedging? Yeah. 
-hmm. And there's some suggestive evidence that, yeah, some of these socioeconomic factors are barriers. Um, And there's a whole host of other really interesting ones that, you know, prep uptake has been incredibly rapid in inner city uh, well connected mm-hmm. gay men like mm-hmm. so gay men so you, the power of a peer network where people yeah. are talking to each yeah, other so yeah. all like saying this is my experience it's yeah. been really positive yep. you should think about this yeah. mm-hmm. and disseminating that way and there's all this question all these questions being asked now about you know new mig- recently arrived migrants yes, yes. who are poorly connected people who are not out yeah. about their yeah. sexuality who yes. are um, Terrific who, segue to our next guest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like people who yeah. don't identify as gay but yeah, might completely. have um, sex with same-sex partners, particularly men, yeah. um, and people from culturally and linguistically diverse yeah. backgrounds where perhaps actually just health-seeking is more difficult because yes. their English is not their first language. It's a really interesting thing where we're seeing promise particularly among uh, promising declines in notifications in the bigger states among Australian-born gay and bisexual men and not really among Mm. overseas-born people. And obviously we're not seeing uh, declines among heterosexual people Mm. who are acquiring HIV. And Mm. and it's raising all these issues about how you sustain that, Mm. uh, sustain those beneficial gains among... The core group who've yeah. been sort of engaged because mm. you don't want to lose that while also then moving into yeah. more marginalized populations yeah. who may be more dispersed they might so there's a lot of argument about whether they are difficult to reach or not yes. i kind of think that phrase should sometimes be questioned because yeah. often they're actually quite easy to yeah. reach depends but, on who you are <laughs> but, but the actual but um getting people the information they want in a way that they understand yeah. reassuring them that these yeah. There are strategies available that are appropriate. Um, and also something like PrEP, it should also be mentioned that even among people who are obviously eligible and accessible, it won't be for everyone. Not yeah. everyone wants yeah. to take drugs every day. Yeah. 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 Point. You know, for protective... I mean, people kind of... In the, um, the celebratory kind of um, environment, environment yes. where we're going... F- thank God it's actually yeah. worked yeah. as we wanted it to. Yeah. I think people sometimes lose track of the fact mm. it's only one strategy yeah. and yeah. trying to say to everybody you, sh- you should all use this strategy, that's yeah. never going to work. Yeah. And so that's probably the the future for PrEP in a way is that it becomes one of a one raft of, of things yeah. that yeah. Are, are there and, yeah. and just enhances the options for people, which yeah. is all, obviously... Some of the interesting discussion, and this may be picked up by your next speaker um, <laughs> is also around say um, there's been a lot of discussion about say heterosexual men at high risk of HIV if they fly, uh, if they go overseas for example um, and have sex while they're overseas say in a high prevalence country Yeah. Um, there's a lot of discussion now about how you would package, explain and sell mm. something like PrEP for example which might be really suitable to say you could take this for a short period of time mm while you're busy of holidaying yes, yes being busy and sociable yes overseas um and they're actually talking about that like the model as i mentioned that was uh, that everybody decided would be the simplest one here was daily prep but actually there are, there's you know 
evidence that you can take. You can use it in like episodically. Because, yeah, episodically, yeah. like event-driven. Yeah, like, right. So you sort of take a couple of pills before, a few hours before you have sex, and you take a pill a day after you've stopped having sex. Yeah. Um, so technically, you could just take it for mm. two or three days, mm. three days minimum. Um, and that is as effective as daily right. coverage in the trial data. So for somebody who only episodically... Mm. Is at risk. Is at risk. That could be... That yeah. sort of episodic model could be really mm. useful. I don't think there's been a lot of public discussion about that. Yeah, yet. right. And I know the partnership, broadly constituted, is trying to think of a way to get these different delivery options mm. out there or talk about holiday prep or travel... Yes travel yeah. prep, mm. yeah. bearing in mind all that stuff around, you know, making sure that you're going to a country where you can take your medication. Yes, exactly. It's quite that complex, isn't it? Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Mun, for yeah, unpacking this amazing, um, yeah. great world, you know, and, and terrific yeah, to just, think about that, you know, just because there's a medicine, mm. it's just the beginning of the story, really. Yeah. And it's a very new story, and as mm. you say, not necessarily for everyone, but some really promising results in certain context mm. and that's a really exciting I mean isn't it I just think in on World AIDS Day yeah how fantastic that here we are 25 30 years down the track or whatever um and we're still there's still brand new things yeah. happening Absolutely. cutting edge stuff to discover things to figure out yeah, yeah. The last few years have been the most extraordinary period in the mm. field I guess the just the challenge now is to keep that effort mm. going yeah mm. Um, it's been very, never been more exciting time to be a social and behavioural researcher in HIV. <laughs> oh, look, I, I have to agree with you, just in listening to the speakers we've yeah. had for this series, like it's yeah. been, I think if people listen to the whole collection of speakers, the conclusion is this is a really dynamic, yeah. really mm. interesting area, and I think perhaps even more dynamic than it's been, you know, for some time, and it's it's... There's so much work to be done still, Absolutely. which is amazing. I like feel more grey hairs coming. Join <laughs> <laughs> the club. Yeah. <laughs> the club. Well, All thanks right. very much. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Well, we are back in the Speakeasy Lounge. Hello, yeah. Annie. Hello. We're back for our World AIDS Day extravaganza. <laughs> yes, well, we haven't actually left the lounge, have we? Oh, that's we right. here the whole time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and we have another fabulous guest today. Welcome, Associate Professor Limin Mao. Um, from Centre for Social Research and Health, just remind mm-hmm. Annie. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, start to see the bubble inside. <laughs> yes, you're seeing it's all being exposed, all the magic is being all exposed before you today. Yeah, so we've asked Limin to come and talk about her work. Um, in any area, in particular, really, but we really thought it might be good for people to hear about the work you've been doing in the Asian Gay Men Periodic Survey. So, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it's always an honour being handpicked by the director to talk about <laughs> my research. Oh, the power, oh, the power. The power. But also, it's kind of, it, it's, you know, go up and down. It's actually starting from my PhD 20 years ago yeah. that was looking at gay Asian men at that time, um, more from, you know, the culture differences and how to do health promotion and have to say at that time you know kind of the uh, Asian men and the community here is quite different in a way that people talk a lot more about Mm. the segregation, the second Mm. citizen the meat market and Mm. nowadays kind of um, I feel like that you know my whole academic life and and a lot of personal friends it accumulated of this 20 years over this work Um, and and also kind of uh, uh, you know it has been 
been kind of founded and then quite for a bit and recently because of the changing epidemic actually we got founded um, first by New South Wales Health uh, and then supplemented by some Commonwealth funding to really you know starting looking at Sydney gay Asian men this you know we, we started from the pro, uh, you know the first round is probably 1996 1998 wow, wow. and then you know kind of uh, did over the years um, and now kind of we can spend to Melbourne um, and with the online support as you know kind of platform mm. we almost now this time almost got 800 participants from wow. around Australia Amazing. so that's kind of in a way is Oh no, keep it. Sorry, Lena. No, I was no, just no, gonna, you okay. were just sort of just saying you know mm. because of the changes in the mm. epidemic, and yeah. I was just gonna say, can Tease you kind of elaborate yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. on what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, that's the kind of thing that um, you know I'm, I'm going to go go to a bit key finding to highlight. So previously, mm. about twenty years ago, what we find is gay Asian men is not so much engaged with health services. Their right. HIV testing, STI testing, are significantly lower than our mm. local gay right. men, and um, uh, you know we argue about culture we argued about you know kind of kind of uh, what, what what is the best service and all that but you know over the time has changed in a way that particularly with ending HIV ambition yeah, right. you know, mm-hmm. what we see in Sydney New South Wales in particular is a setup of you know much more rigorous kind of low threshold service that cater engagement from sexual health clinic and also the pop-up between community-based testing not only in Sydney Melbourne you know and the several yeah. kind of yeah. cities yeah. that uh, you know, with support of sexual health clinic, but supporting peer testing, both HIV, right. STI, and out, you know, a bit outreach, but also kind of a bit communication face to face. And with our project, actually, we advocated for more peer workers in those kind mm-hmm. of pop-up communities and yeah. services and, and accommodating yeah. a bit more ethnic diversity, cultural diversity. So kind of what we find is, you know, kind of in terms of HIV, STI testing after this 20 years, particularly for people are quite white gay community located sure. and, and informed yeah. they are actually catching up. So, you know, for our social researcher, you know, we always argue about, you know, yes, there's cultural differences, migration yeah. difference. You know, we, 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 we t- you know, we, t- we, we emphasize those barriers. But on the other hand, we find once the services are, re- uh, you know, invigorated and much mm. more open, actually those gaps can be kind of mm, much yeah, yeah. eliminated. And, and peer-based. Um, That's a peer-based. Well, okay? It's a very, very yeah. powerful. You know, I mm. bet there's still culture and a migration which mm. we find in newly arrived people particularly those not so much gay community informed course, not yeah. much out kind of that then you know saying that changing epidemic one way is now particularly in the last few years we see the whole biomedical pro- approach yeah. our social right. research prep and that's sort prep, of thing. Yeah. prep okay. and, you know from first task and prep and more mm-hmm. recent years the task I mean from mm. our social researcher point we were always skeptical in a way but mm. really the rolling out of prep what we see in the um, uh, stats is we see a quite dramatic decline, a third decline of mm. HIV notification among Australian born gay men. But this actually hasn't been seen among the overseas born gay men. So it's almost another natural experiment right. saying that, you know, now it's, you know, mm. you can complain that they are low health literacy, they don't want to engage, mm. but it's actually much more about structural barrier. Mm, so right. go back to your word AIDS day, it's, you know, kind of equal access, you know, it's how it's kind of really the inequity issue and there's some structure mm. kind of, um, you know, stigma and, and kind of that. Got so, you, yeah, right. Yeah.
Yeah, so kind of yeah. currently we are saying the, cur- the, the difference, it's not much. You know, yes, there's sexual behavior difference, but the mm. much more na- the, the emphasis is about Medicaid eligibility. And mm, how Australia, barriers, as you say, in a yeah. swamp mm. of, you know, we see some increase in Philippines, you know, yeah. among the gay men and MSN. Also in China, we see, mm. uh, you know, stu- Chinese students, male students mm. having a high spike. But how, you know, Australian uh, as our responsibility mm. and, you know, kind of our way in the region to cope mm. with this um, epidemic. And I imagine all of that, you know, sort of broadening this out to sort of uh, broader issues in the community. I would imagine that all of this sort of talk around sort of, you know, you know, anti-immigration and all those kinds yeah. of sentiments don't help you know, young gay men coming overseas born yeah. to come forward, yeah. you know, even if they're yeah. eligible for something. I mean, yeah. people, it yeah. would create those kind yeah. of barriers for people, wouldn't it? People would yeah. be afraid to yeah. come forward yeah. in yeah. case it um, yeah. jeopardises yeah. something that they, you know, might be wanting from the system, so yeah. to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm. and also, um, you know, Carla probably also more aware that we recently, with this kind of thing, we have some offshoot looking at particularly inter- international students within university. Yeah. You know, some are more uh, gay men, some are more MSM identified rather than gay identified. What we actually find is our system, you know, sometimes some private health insurance company, Mm -hmm. you know, telling those people, if you are HIV positive, go back to their own country, which is not what the the sexual health clinic, Mm -hmm. which in New South Wales, we know that they provide compassionate access as long as you stay in Australia. So we actually find, you know, kind of uh, just go outside of a little bit of our bubble, actually kind of they actually have to face a lot mm. more barriers than yeah. we thought yeah. yeah and they yeah. might be just be given incorrect information that some suburbia gps and not necessarily yeah. saying they are the barrier but i yeah. think you know there's some yeah. lots of the information we held yes. in the sector that we thought we smoothed all those yeah, kind yeah. of thing and with peer and you know, yeah, but but there is a lot more work mm. as you just get, go outside of a neighborhood mm. bubble <laughs> It's a really interest. That's a, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. To come, and that's sort of something you would think has kind of come out of the work over time. Really, that's isn't right. It? Yeah. That sort of as you work through the issues and you yeah, know, kind of deal with things like getting more peer-based services and those kinds of things. What starts to be exposed is what's yeah. left, and what's yeah. left are yeah. the structural yeah. things that are much more complex to yeah. deal with often, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Mm. And, and also, Annie, go back to your point is you know if we really want to cultivate the peers as leaders mm. and all that, how Australia kind of, you know, in a way we treat kind of, of culture, ethnic and religious diversity also impact on mm. these people, you know, kind of do you support them, but once they're out they could be yeah. much more vulnerable exactly. you know, kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you got a, the latest survey is 800 people or so from yeah. around Australia online, yeah. Yeah. What, what else what key issues did you want to mention from, from the results of that? Yeah, I think that um, uh, what we really find is, uh, um, you know, kind of people, if they are um, here in Australia um, quite, for quite long years and, uh, you know, kind of know the uh, health system a little bit more, particularly with the whole HIV prevention treatment, you know, connected uh, or some way informed um, with um, with services linked with some peers, they fare much, you know, better. better. Mm. Actually, you know, the, the whole kind of disparity is getting kind of less and less Mm -hmm. but for people who are 
somehow does not fit in the system yeah. from the beginning or newly arrived or there are some issues for them to either be kind of linked with others or kind of quite isolated mm. we find that um, uh, kind of there are pockets of really interesting ways that we can you know either compare to the local um, community or think of ways that we probably can't always you know do things that we yeah. think are bad. You know, we have to probably be a lot more yeah. innovative. Yeah. Um, and, and a peer is also um, like, you know, for, for China, some universities, they install those vending machines that you can get to those self-tested uh, yes. self yeah. kids, for yeah. example. We just started to promote DB, uh, dry blood sport, yeah. kind of, which right. is home-based. You have mm -hmm. to, you know, thinking of some people, um, you know, they, you know, there is confidentiality issue mm. and all that. They, they might not, you know, they're, they're going to the service might not be their first option okay. yeah. while also ensuring that there's confidentiality issues in, mm. you know, rather than kind of um Mm. Yeah, so so it's a really sort of the the underlying kind of message, so to speak, there, particularly around world age. Yeah, yeah. and is, is that thing about you know low barrier, low threshold. With however, you just got to do it. Be yeah. innovative. Yeah. You know. Do what you can in and be creative about the ways that and, people and with, can access what they yeah. need. You know, and with yeah. terrific long-term yeah. social research underpinning this to yeah. help guide yeah. responses so and understanding. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and to look at what's worked and what's it hasn't. Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know what Carla was saying. The main finding, but I think you know, in terms of I'd go a bit outside of the academic finding. What we find is the partnership still works. You know, from this kind of thing, it's probably long. Term that we worked with community organizations, mm, and, nice. and this time we also worked quite heavily with public funded sexual health clinics right. and mm. our local health district, at least mm. in this you know, metro city kind of that sense. Mm. And that way, you know, try to make health promotion, um, service provision, and kind of outreach peer that in a seamless way yes. that coordinated. And a lot of it, you know, we do mm. as a volunteer work rather than showing in academic yeah. KPI. But that helps in yeah. a way to create those dialogue and, mm. you know, move beyond the kind of the ordinary square. What a, what a fantastic point to reach for this little I segment, I think. I you know. know. It's all about the partnership. It's yeah. all about understanding the bigger world yeah. and what yeah. you need to do to affect change. Yeah. I know. And we talk about research impact and that sort of thing. Yeah. Sort of that idea that research yeah. impact goes well like, beyond you know the publication or that yes, you know that yeah. there are all these really rich yeah. relationships and benefits that yeah. flow out into the community from the yeah. kind of work that this is done in the center so very nice yes thanks nice so much for joining for us World Aids Day. thank you annie and the color yeah no ways okay well we're out and we're out. we'll um see you on the next episode of For more information about this podcast, our guests, and upcoming episodes, head to httpcsrh.arts.unsw.edu.au.